You know, life can be deep, but God is greater and higher, and He's faithful. No matter what you go through, the good, the bad, the ugly, He meets you at every twist and every turn. And in those moments when you've got questions and you have no answers, there's one big answer that will never change, and that is God is faithful. He's always there. And all you got to do is call. No matter what the situation, no matter what the mistake, no matter what the failing, no matter your brokenness, He's there. He promises to be there. He promises to be faithful, to pick up all the pieces, to collect your tears in a bottle and wash you with them and bring restoration into your life. So hold on, my friend. Hope is just a prayer away. So never give up. Never give in. Dare to believe. One more time. Hello, I'm Michelle McKinney-Hammond, and welcome to Life Talk. We're talking about how to make love work, how to get it, keep it, and fix what's broken. We've discussed the parts that it takes, and now we're into the assembly, putting people together. So now that you've asked the initial hard questions and made your observations about the other person, you like what you've heard and seen, and now is the time to become more intentional in your approach to making it a working love connection. After you gather all the data on the other person, some configuration must take place to discern compatibility. This means that, as previously mentioned, you must know yourself and your purpose before you can know if the person is going to be a good fit. Will the other person be an appropriate partner for your fulfilling the manufacturer's plan for you? Will you be an appropriate partner for them? If you're unsure of what God made you for, do not attempt to go any further. Understanding your purpose will be crucial to the configuration process. You see, purpose is what puts you in position to meet your partner. If you place the cart before the horse, you might misplace your purpose. Hence, the common complaint of married people that they've lost their identities in the process of connection. The truth of the matter is that they never establish their identities. Once a person fully understands their purpose, they cannot misplace it unless they choose to do so in exchange for a relationship with the other person. When someone fails to establish their identity, dissatisfaction causes them to say to their partner, you're not making me happy. This statement, however, is a perversion of truth because in actuality, the person has made themselves unhappy by not functioning according to their original design or purpose or even taking the time to find out what that is. This is the point at which most connections run into serious interference or break down altogether. Many former couples report that they outgrew each other or grew apart. In many of these cases, the initial configuration never took place, which left both partners open to more conflict than they were equipped to handle. It's important to realize that what you initiate is what you will generate. If you're operating under the manufacturer's policy that states you cannot fix or return a person once you've committed to them, 
you will be more intentional in your alignment. The person should make their needs, aspirations, and standards known in the beginning so that there will be no surprises later, and so should you. It is exceedingly better to know that you've chosen the wrong person before you're attached to them. In order for love to work, the two parts, you and the other person, cannot be polar opposites. I've said it before that you need to be similar at the core but different in function. The power of agreement will make your connection strong. Janet and Paul, friends of mine, are so much alike that over the years they've even begun to look like each other. On the other hand, a friend of Janet's, Sarah, is in a turbulent marriage. As she and Janet discussed the phenomenon of Janet and Paul's oneness, Sarah asked, Do you think Justin and I look alike? Janet replied, Not at all. Sarah looked sad and reflected, I guess when you aren't one, you don't look like one. Truer words could not be spoken. The objective of any couple should be to live inside each other to the point that their power to overcome obstacles in life increases. Goals must be outlined as this can be a major source of love failure. If one person wants to be a missionary and the other a socialite, they need to choose partners more in line with their aspirations. You should never try to reprogram the other person or vice versa, as this will lead only to a lifetime of frustration. A final block to configuration is significant enough that it deserves a conversation all by itself. You cannot configure if you or the other person has issues about gender roles. Though these roles sometimes appear to conflict, they are complementary in the function of love. We're all aware of John Gray's theory that men are from Mars and women are from Venus, but keep in mind that though Mars and Venus are different planets, they are part of the same solar system. Someone once said to me, being a woman is hard. I replied, it is if you're a woman who's trying to be a man. When we step on each other's toes and rolls, trouble begins. Though male and female functions seem to be opposite, each has its own part in the love machine. If it's allowed to do what it's supposed to do, according to God's design, men and women must agree to allow each other to function in their roles, free from static, so both can perform at their authentic best. In other words, let men be men and let women rejoice in their femininity for all it's worth. I once had an interior designer explain the law of room design to me. She used the words tension and release in reference to the balance in space and the things placed in the specific area. I think the same holds true for relationships. There must be tension and release. Where two people do the mating dance, you know, the man releases the woman to be a woman and the woman releases the man to be a man. And the chemistry between them then creates this wonderful tension that actually pulls them together as they release each other to be who they are. Wow, that's pretty amazing, huh? So let's be clear on what we're dealing with, lest we get confused by media hype and insinuations. Though both men and women have equally strong roles, God designed them to submit to each other, accommodate each other's weaknesses, and balance their strengths. So let's take a look at the man first. The man was created as the initiator, protector, and provider, and serves the female without overpowering her. Because the male is the initiator, the female must not pursue the male. Jesus is the prototype for the ultimate bridegroom. He wooed, pursued, fought for, and died for his bride. That would be us, the church, collectively. We don't run after him. Instead, we respond 
to the love that he initiated. Ever notice that no one gets married on The Bachelor after the season finale? That's because this spiritual principle has been overworked. What man is going to respect any woman who engages herself in full-on pursuit of him, especially in an area where many women are also vying for his affection? This is role reversal at its worst. She's become the hunter and he the game. But wait a minute, he was created to be the hunter. Notice that the only successful unions from these reality shows has been from The Bachelorette, where the men were in their rightful place, pursuing the lady. I know it's popular in culture now for women to be independent and prove that they're equal to men by acting like them, but this behavior has its consequences. If a woman chooses to be at the initiator and happens to win his attention and affections, she will set up a pattern of continually having to push all the man's buttons to get reassurance of his love. When a woman is chosen by the man, she's able to rest comfortably in their relationship without insecurity, knowing he did the work to claim her hand. Now let's take a look at the woman. The female actually has the easy job in life. She's made to be a receiver, kind of like the one in a stereo system. The receiver takes the power from what it's plugged into, channels the energy, and outputs beautiful music. Even God said in the book of Genesis that it's not good for a man to function alone. Without a woman, he's missing a piece of himself as well as a vital source of power that he needs to complete his designated assignment or purpose. You see, a woman empowers a man as she receives and submits to his love, just as the church submits to Christ, honoring him and proving our love for him through our obedience. A woman makes her man feel love by honoring him and cooperating with him. In the end, she reaps the benefits. A man honors her because of how good she makes him feel. I get this picture of Adam supervising the Garden of Eden, keeping the animals in check and reporting to God about how everything was going. After a while, God decided some creativity was needed. Enter Eve, stage left. She brought a whole new energy to the garden, and in no time, Adam was head over heels in love with her. I'm sure they were inseparable, right up to their little afternoon snack that shaped the destiny of the rest of the world. And that's when one of the greatest facts about the dynamics of men and women were revealed. The woman comes equipped with the power to influence the man, though the man has authority to guide the couple as a unit. In some cases, the female's influence can override the authority of the male. Think about it this way. God has all authority, but your heart can influence you to disobey him. Though he has authority, you have freedom of choice. When a woman influences a man against the way he's wired, it can short-circuit his power. Simply put, the female can emasculate the male, which then places their connection in danger. Remember that when a woman resorts to the use of male energy, she leaves her man with two choices, to abdicate his masculinity or to leave and go where he can continue to output male energy. Both choices usually have disastrous ends. This is what happened with that famous villainous woman of the Bible, Jezebel. When she didn't feel that Ahab was moving fast enough to get what he wanted, she took over. She challenged him, are you king or not? And proceeded to run the show as if she were king. Her actions landed them all in a heap of trouble with God that ended in the loss of their kingdom, period. Jezebel in particular met a very ugly end. She was hurled from her palace window, went splat in the middle of the street, 
was overrun by enemy's chariots, and her remains were eaten by dogs. Oof. Now that is a graphic description of how ugly a woman looks when she decides to take on a man's characteristics. Meanwhile, Ahab rolled over and abdicated completely, took to his bed and became a complete wimp. Though he had no part in Jezebel's dirty work, he was still held accountable for it and suffered an untimely end. Are you getting the picture? When a woman exerts male energy by taking over and a man exercises female energy by submitting to her leadership, serious technical difficulties result. You need to choose to love rather than coexist. In many cases, you find men and women merely existing together. This will never be enough for either partner. They will always expect to get something more out of the love connection. These unmet expectations will lead to a slow buildup of negative residue in the relationship. When resentment sets in, respect is lost, which is followed by depletion of desire and the eventual breakdown of the relationship. To avoid these types of errors which interrupt the flow of love, each partner must be clear on the importance as well as the benefits of how the other functions. When a man and a woman agree to honor each other by celebrating and balancing their differences, they complement each other and discover mutual satisfaction in their relationship. Now, both parts are free to discuss how they will balance their strengths and weaknesses to create the most powerful working unit. For example, my mother is better at balancing checkbooks and managing finances, while my father is a real fix-it man. They yield to each other's strengths without stepping on each other's toes. They each submit to the other's design. It works for them. Enough said. An honest assessment of each other's gifts is necessary to see how you configure according to the manufacturer's design and distribute tasks between yourselves. Such tasks can range from the mundane household chores to the critical financial planning. The key is for the two of you to agree. But you need to settle this issue of distribution while you are in the initial stages of configuration if you want to make love work. Remember, people, like parts, are what they are. They've already been formed and wired. Only the manufacturer that would be God can rewire. When people and parts are allowed to be what the manufacturer designed them to be, they are stronger and have more to give to the relationship. As partners celebrate each other's strengths and balance out their differences, they're able to merge their gifts. They're able to make love work and become a fabulous picture of the manufacturer's design. Let me leave you with this insider's love tip. A part will have difficulty functioning only when it attempts to be or is forced to be a different part. When this occurs, successful operation is impossible. <laughs>